okay, it may have just been my imagination, but you know, when I walked up here and tried to stop, I felt it was really hard to stop with you guys singing at my back. <laughs> Did you guys create a wind? I don't, I, that was weird. Thank you for leading that. That's one of my favorite songs. I love that song. Um, Welcome, everybody. We are glad that you are with us worshiping today. It is good to be together to worship the Lord. And uh, uh, if you are visiting, you've come to a wonderful church and uh, hang around long enough, and we'll try to prove it to you. So uh, please uh, let us get a chance to know you. Right after this, as has already been mentioned, uh, we'll have a time of refreshments uh, back in our fellowship hall, coffee and carbohydrates. It's a Wilshire tradition, so come join us. And then a Bible class after that, so hope you can stay. <clears throat> TikTok, the game is locked. I heard an NPR uh, story about this a few years ago, actually. A kindergarten, had uh, the kids at a kindergarten had learned that rhyme and were using it to devastating effect. That's such a mean rhyme. You know, kind of the popular kids, the assertive kids, the outgoing kids, had sort of decided who was going to be in and who was going to be out when they played games at recess or any other time. And the kids that, were, that they didn't want to be involved, they would just sort of do that little sing-songy rhyme at them, tick-tock, the game is locked, which meant you can't join us. You can't be a part of our little group, whatever it was. That's so mean. And it, was, it had become viral in that little school, so all the kindergartners and all the classes had started doing it. And so the teachers got together and they did a counter strategy. In all the classes on the same day, they talked to the kindergartners about how much that hurt people's feelings to say that rhyme. And they said, we never want to hear those words again, and instead, here are the words that everyone is to say. You can't say, you can't play. They taught the kids to say those words instead. You can't say, you can't play. And they actually recorded the session in one of the classes where the, the five-year-olds were giving their objections to that. But I don't want to play with Susie because she's mouse funny, and, you know, or whatever their objections were. And the teachers talked them through their objections. And, and the kids themselves actually answered some of the objections. Yeah, but when you tell Susie she can't play, then she gets really sad and she goes and sits in her cubby and cries. And so they talked themselves and they changed their behavior. And the chant then became, you can't say, you can't play. I love that story. That's a great story. Because it does not feel good to be excluded. It does not feel good to be locked out. The reason I told that story, well, for one, it just stuck in my head from years ago, listening to NPR. But it also is really a good uh, intro to the four short little stories that Bruce read for us this morning, the four short little stories in Mark that I want us to focus on. If you've got your Bibles, open up to that last section in Mark chapter 2, starting in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. 
four little stories, every one of which Jesus does something or says something that kind of challenges a problem that has cropped up in his religion. Jesus is a Jew. He's raised a Jew. He's loyal to the Jewish religion. But the Jewish religion has become locked in to certain practices which are excluding people and excluding God and what God wants in many cases. And so Jesus does things and says things that, that rams up against that lock, rams up against that rigidity to say this needs to change. Let's see how he does it. It's really interesting. The first one, a very famous story, uh, the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all love to tell this story. Mark tells it in his characteristic rapid pace style. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, if you are plugged in at all to the culture of that day, that would have caused the entire crowd to be shocked. Tax collectors cannot play. They cannot play with us. They are bad people. The traditional Jewish view of tax collectors is that they are traitors to their nation. They are collaborators with pagan, idolatrous Romans. And if that weren't bad enough, they're all filthy, dishonest cheats. To be a tax collector is to be in a state of perpetual sin. You are, you cannot play with us. And Jesus looks at this guy Levi and he sees something nobody else is capable of seeing. And he says, Levi, just like he said to Peter, just like he said to Andrew, Levi, follow me. And Levi gets up and he leaves the money and he leaves the job and he says, okay. And he comes and follows Jesus. And it gets better or worse, depending on your perspective. While Jesus, verse 15 is even more shocking than verse 14. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. Uh, for there were many who followed him. So it just gets, you know, from the frying pan into the fire for Jesus here. Not just one tax collector, but lots of tax collectors? What is going on? What are you thinking of, Jesus? And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They brought this up to the disciples. Why does he eat with tax collectors and these sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
What had happened to the Jewish religion is something that can happen to any religion. It can happen to us. What had happened to the Jewish religion is that they had gotten used to ministering to the healthy. You know, I get together with my fellow faculty members sometimes, and we grouse about our students. Students, I'm sorry, but it's true, we do. And I've, been, I've reflected sometimes on how we grouse, and I realize what we really want, if you, if you summarize the gripes of teachers, what we, and some of you teachers probably know exactly what I'm going to say, but if you summarize the gripes of teachers, what we really want are students that don't need us. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I want brilliant students that write perfectly, that, are, that read really well and can summarize and can, and can generalize from the stuff they read and can, can, can come up with great conclusions. That's what I want. Why do they need me then? And it's easy for a religion. That's what had happened to the Jews, and that can happen to us. It's easy for us to only want people here who don't really need us. Their, their lives are already cleaned up pretty well. Or at least they're pretending while they're here that they are. We don't want any visible struggles going on. We don't want messiness. At least we don't see it. And Jesus smacks up against that here. And he says, I'm going to tell you what I'm here to do. And if you're following me, that's what you're here to do. You are here to call the messy lives. You are here to help people who are struggling. You know, people who are on death's door spiritually, that's who you go to right now. Because that's what God is after. Our religion mustn't be so concerned with appearance that it locks out those who are visibly struggling with sin. That's what Jesus does in this little story. Look down at the next story. Look at verse 18 and following. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours aren't? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They, con they cannot as long as he's with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. Jesus basically says, right now, the bridegroom is here. This is the wedding party. No one goes to a wedding reception and says, mm, no cake for me, I'm on the Atkins. Just somebody who does that is just kind of being rude, you know? I mean, I hope you didn't do that recently, but it's true. Just point on everybody's fun. And Jesus says, you don't do that. You're there to celebrate. You celebrate. And Jesus says, when I'm here, I am bringing the kingdom in. And we are living kingdom lives while I'm here. He says, there's coming a day when great grief is going to hit all of my followers. 
They're going to fast that day, I guarantee you. But that's not this day. And then he, once again, he rams up against a place of rigidity. He rams up against that lock that he's sensing in the Jewish religion. Look at verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. This is a... This is a pathology that can fall on a religion, and Jesus senses that it's fallen on his religion, Judaism, that is set out by God to help people get close to God, but there's a rigidity that has set in now that Jesus has come that's making it impossible for some people to get close to God by Jesus' path. Both of those images, you know, old cloth, New cloth, new wine, old wines. Both of those are images of a lack of flexibility, of rigidity that won't be able to move and flex when the need arises, right? That's what both of those images are about. I don't have a lot of experience with new cloth and old cloth and shrinkage and stuff like that. I have even less with wineskins. I don't even know what that's about. I've been told by history books, but... But that's what they're both that's what they're both talking about. And what Jesus is saying is sometimes we get locked in to our customs and our traditions in a way that makes us not listen to the word of God. Now Don't get me wrong. Tradition is not a dirty word. Some traditions can get in the way, but tradition is not a dirty word. It's not a dirty word in the Bible. Custom and tradition are mostly good things for human beings, and they're mostly good things for Christians. This is how societies, any community works. We have customs and we have traditions. And that's a good thing. Uh, You do not want to be a part of a group that every day has to make up new rules. What time are we going to meet this Sunday? Oh no, the elders haven't really decided yet. Just show up. We'll 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 make a decision on the day. We don't want to get locked in. Are we gonna sing this week? Nobody's decided yet. We'll take a vote when we get here. Will there be preaching? Mm, we're kind of on the fence about nobody wants to be you can't function like that. Traditions, customs. They help us. We're human beings. We kind of need that stuff. But we can't put the cart before the horse. The point of all of our customs and traditions 
is that they are to serve to help us get closer to God. And what had happened with the Jewish customs and traditions, like this custom of fasting that Jesus is talking about, is that they had locked in the Pharisees. That had become a reason to criticize what Jesus is doing rather than to say, okay, Jesus isn't doing that. Is that because something new is happening that I should be paying attention to? They were unable to receive that message. So Jesus challenges it and asks them to open their mind. And maybe some of them were able to open their mind. I hope so. Look down at verse 23 for the next story. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pluck some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And, he had, and Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did? when he and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, the tabernacle, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is, this is like the same story as the previous story. It's, it's almost exactly the same thing. Which way does holiness flow? Is this a holy book? I think it's a holy book. I, Hoppy, I agree. I think this is a holy book. But why is it holy? Is this a holy building? You're trying to trick me. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a sense in which there is kind of a reflected holiness on this building. I remember as a kid, I kind of thought the songbooks were a little holy. I mean, I was afraid to mark in them. Mainly, I was afraid of my mother. But they were a little holy. I don't know. There's a reflected holiness. Well, there is holiness, but it's reflected holiness. Which way does the holiness come from? Where do, which way does the holiness flow? We can get it backwards. We can get it backwards. The reason why the Bible is holy is not because of the printing. It's not because of the paper. This is actually really good paper, but I don't have any other books that have this good of paper, but... It's not because of the printing in the paper. Not even because of the words, although the words are amazing. It's because of who they came from, right? I mean, that, the holiness flows down from Jesus, from God. 
The reason why this, this room, at least when we're in it, is not an ordinary room, is a little holy when we're here, is because God's here. Jesus is here. Even the songbooks are a little holy. Don't write in them, kids. They're a little. But only because Jesus is here. A little reflected holiness. And we can get that backwards. Our customs, our traditions can start to feel like the thing that's actually making us holy. I'm a holy person because I'm following the right customs. I'm following the right traditions. I'm obeying the right practices, right? That's why I'm holy. Not because these customs, practices, and traditions are drawing me closer to Jesus. These are the right practices. That's why I'm holy. And that's kind of where the Pharisees were when they're asking this question. They're saying, I don't care if they're starving. Let them starve rather than violate this rule we've made, which isn't in the Bible. It's just a theological reflection on a theological reflection on a theological reflection of something that's in the Bible. Get us to the place where you can't take a piece of grain and rub it in your hands and eat the results to sate your hunger a little bit on the Sabbath. The holiness is flowing in the wrong direction. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you something. Let's look at your Bible a little bit. <laughs> David, God's chosen Messiah for that time, went into the tabernacle. What the Bible says is explicitly forbidden for anybody who's not a priest. He went up and got the bread, or the priest got it for him, and he ate it and his companions ate it. The Bible says you can't do that. But he was God's anointed, God's Messiah. The other synoptics say, somebody greater than David is standing in front of you right now. And I'll tell you something, the Son of Man that's standing in front of you is greater than the Sabbath. What makes the Sabbath holy in the law of Moses. What makes it holy? Well, it's keeping the Sabbath. You just got to keep it. I don't know why it, we do it, but we just got to do it. And that's what makes you a holy person. No. What makes the Sabbath holy? God makes it holy. Jesus makes it holy. What makes us holy? Jesus. Our religion mustn't get so locked into our customs that we forget who they serve. I mean, I, I value our customs. I value our traditions. I think they are important. I think wise people for generations have been working towards figuring out how we can get closer to God. But, but folks, <laughs> we serve Jesus. And if his voice is calling us, we're going to answer. 
We're going to move where he tells us to move. That's happened in the past. That's going to keep happening. That's just the way people who love Jesus act and will continue to act. One more story. Look down in Mark 3, first six verses. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse him. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Man, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. So it's like he waited for the invitation song and he brought this guy to the front. Anyone have anything to say? Anyone? Anyone? I do. I do. No, I mean anyone. Anyone want to say? I do. Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? They remained silent. I think the they there is not the whole synagogue. The they is specifically the leaders of the synagogue, the ones that are there trying to figure out what's wrong with Jesus, something to accuse him with. Verse 5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I teach a lot on Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, turn the other cheek and don't be angry and, and uh, you know, love your enemies. And a lot of times when I teach my undergraduates, turn the other cheek, they say, but Jesus got angry. You know, it, when he overturned the tables in the temple, he cleansed the temple. He was mad. He was angry. You know, I look, I, it never says he was mad when he did that. He may have been mad. All the, you know, Renaissance paintings of Northern European white Jesus, they all look like he's mad. But who knows what he really was like, you know. Uh, it may have really been what it appears to be, a prophetic acting out of what he knew was coming. If, if the Jews didn't listen to him, they were on a path of destruction. They were following Jewish nationalism, and they were eventually going to rebel against Rome and fight Rome, and they're going to get killed. They're going to get destroyed. And he was acting out that destruction of Jerusalem, of the temple and the city. It never says he was mad. So if you want a proof text that Jesus got mad sometimes... Mark 3, verse 5. Here's your proof text. Write it down. Some of you need it. You want to have a time when Jesus was just enraged. This is wrath. This is the word orge. We get the English word orgy from this. So it is like barely keeping it together. This is passion. This is red-faced this is, and this is like Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed against mankind, right? That's this, that's this word. Jesus was looking around at these synagogue leaders who were, because of their traditions, they were perfectly happy for this man's suffering to continue on until he died. 
rather than for them to be publicly humiliated and to have to change their customs in the face of Jesus' judgment. They were perfectly happy for this man's suffering to continue. And he was, Jesus was, full of wrath about that. You want to know when Jesus gets mad? Here's your proof text. This makes Jesus mad. This makes Jesus angry. When we are so locked in to what we're used to religiously that we will refuse to do the second commandment at all. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gets mad about that. That's what this proves to us. Our religion mustn't be so worried about being criticized that it locks us out of loving our neighbors. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we are grateful for those who have come before us. We are grateful for those who have taught us. We are grateful for the word of God and how we have been instructed in it. God, help us to appreciate what we've learned, but help us to have open ears to what you are going to teach us in the future. God, help us, please, to listen to you always, 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 and know when it is time, if it ever is time, to change and move as you lead us to move. God, these are the things we pray. We want to always have soft enough hearts so that you can move us in the direction you need us to move. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation, if you need help or prayers or something uh, that you need to share with the congregation, or if today is the day that you want to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, wash away your sins, begin the new life, we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.